Uh, I want to talk to you today uh, from Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open it there. Look at that goofy little thing that's on the screen. Do you see it? The thing down in the corner there. That's a QR code. And uh, here's how that works. If you take your phone and you hold it up, and if it's a good enough phone, mine did it from the sound desk. So you hold it up, you might have to zoom in with your camera. A little link's going to appear on your camera. And if you click that, it'll take you right to the Bible app, our page on the Bible app. I thank George Cannon for keeping me sharp technologically. He told me that. Pastor Cannon told me that this week. I thought, I'll throw that up there. And some of the people in the early service used it. I see a couple of you using it now. You can get there the old-fashioned way. You can just click uh, your menu on the Youth Version Bible app and get there that way. But that will have all of the text in it that we'll be using today, or at least most of it, and part of my outline. So there is a Bible app event for this message that you can use. Um, We're going to read about Jesus' birth this morning, and as we're doing that, here's the things we'll be talking about, just kind of to to get your brain thinking along these lines. First off, we're talking about God's generous heart, and then about the abounding love that is in his heart, and then the loyal nature of that love. And it's all there in the story we're about to read. It's all there in the manger. So let's read Luke chapter 2. Follow along silently or just listen as I begin reading at verse 6. Talking to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, it says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left them, I'm sorry, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying God, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Wow, what a great story, huh? I mean, for me personally, next to John chapter 1, this is my favorite part of the Christmas story. The shepherds, Mary giving birth, gathered around there. I love that. I love the baby in the manger. You're looking at God in the flesh, the Son of God, and you're seeing his generous heart, his abounding love, and his loyal love. I want to pray that we can see that in a fresh way today. So can we take just a moment before we begin to look at this in detail and just ask God to open the eyes of our heart. Would you bow your heart with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. As we give thought to this passage and our key passage, I would pray, Father, that we would develop a better and more accurate perspective of your love, your love for us, I pray that seeing the greatness of your love, our hearts would be transformed even more from glory to glory, so to speak, and drawn into a closer relationship with you. For this we pray 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, they say you should never meet your heroes. Have you heard that phrase? Never meet your heroes. It's kind of a warning phrase. And you probably understand why. If you meet your heroes, there's a pretty good chance that your heroes will break your heart. Because whenever we admire people with whom we have close connection, we tend to put them on a pedestal. We make them bigger than they really are. And we elevate them to heights that they really haven't the ability to reach. I've done that with preachers. I've done that with teachers. I've done that with musicians. I've done that with sports figures. I confuse their skill or perhaps their gifting. I confuse their skill or their gifting with their character, with their identity, with their godliness sometimes. And then having done that, whenever you do that, and then you meet them, they really don't fit the fantasy ideal that you had of who you wanted them to be, and they break your heart. Never meet your heroes. But you know that these days, (laughs) your heart can get broken without the need of actually meeting your hero. The internet, and the fact that probably every person here has in their pocket or their purse a video camera that they can whip out at any moment, It can expose any of us for who we really are. A couple of weeks ago, I'm not going to name him, but a couple of weeks ago, one of my heroes, a man who claims to be a Christ follower, without any real provocation, used, what is it that Ralphie calls it? The queen mother of bad words, you know? In front of a group of people, adults and children alike. (laughs) And there was no real reason that he needed to do that. Social media, Twitter, they were okay with that. They even admired that. (laughs) I am so out of touch with social media and their opinions. How about you? That individual, he fell from a pedestal that I had put him on. I don't blame him for letting me down. I'm not mad at him. I blame myself for yet again putting someone on a pedestal who maybe shouldn't be there. I still admire him. I still like him. He's human, like I am human, and I would fall from pedestals whenever placed there myself. And he's accountable to God. He's not even accountable to me. But that situation broke my heart. Never meet your heroes. Who's on pedestals in your life? Who have you put on a pedestal in your life? There's only one person I can think of that you can put on a pedestal that will let you down. It's me. No! Just making sure you're still awake. Not me. There's really only one person I can think of that you can put on a pedestal who will not let you down, and that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is someone who will not let you down. He will not break your heart. He is in the manger. Now, this Advent, our key passage has been, from all places, the book of Exodus. We've been looking at Exodus 34, 6, where God shows his glory, or rather his goodness, to Moses. And a passage speaks of God, and it says he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming his name, the Lord, the Lord, and then things about him, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and in faithfulness. I've been leaning into some teaching from Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, and into some videos from the Bible Project as I've put together these messages that I've written for you. And, and this key passage has said over and over again that God will never break your heart. 
He will never break your heart. And it says that in and the word is used for love. It's the fourth of the characteristics we've talked about. The first candle, the first Sunday of Advent, we had as compassion, God's compassion. And the second one, God's grace. And the third, being slow to anger. And the fourth, being his abounding love. And then on Christmas Day, we'll talk about his faithfulness. He has those things. And that's the kind of hero you can trust. Today, we're going to talk about that fourth one, abounding in love. And it uses an incredibly important Hebrew word, to talk about God's love. The word is hesed or kased. I don't speak Hebrew. Even if I did, I'd probably say it wrong. That word, hesed, when, when I, I, I looked it up in a number of my study texts and in the complete word study of the Old Testament on my computer, it took screens to define a word. Think about a dictionary taking pages to define a word. This is a word that is full of meaning. And it's the word that is translated love here. I want to talk to you actually about three aspects of love, three aspects of God's said. But before I give you those aspects, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you that said is what is lying in the manger at Advent. Better, hesed is who is lying in the manger. Love. You, you know that when scripture speaks of God, there's just a couple places that it uses like a one-word definition of God. God is spirit. That's one word to define who God is. Our God is a fire. Fire, that's one word, a consuming fire to say who God is. In 1 John 4, 8, it says... Anyone who loves doesn't know God because, and here's the three words, God is love. God is love. And so when we speak of the aspects of God's love, of, of his ascent, we're actually talking about characteristics of God because ascent is not like a lab coat that God puts on in the morning when he goes out to say, look, I'm a doctor. It's not something he puts on like a hat and says, look, I'm a fireman. Those things are external and they kind of label someone as having these characteristics and these skills. But God doesn't have to put that on because he is, without anything added, he is in his very essence, love. God doesn't put on love. God is not even filled with love, although I'll use that kind of language in the message today. God himself is love. And his generous love flows toward you because he's love. His abounding love overflows in your life because he's love. His faithful, dedicated love is there for you because he is love. And if the love of God were to cease to exist, for that to happen, God himself would have to cease to exist. God is love. And God's love isn't the kind of love I had in third grade for that little girl named Karen. She was the only kid in third grade who could run faster than me. Where did that athleticism go? Yeah. So she could catch me all the time. And the love that we had together as third graders, that wasn't what we're talking about with God. And God's love isn't even the kind of love that I had with that other girl my senior year in high school. God's love is above that. It is based in his character, in his truthfulness. So it never lies and never wavers. It is an enduring kind of love based in his commitment for us. It is a love 
It is a love that cares deeply for the beloved. It is a love that keeps the promise and keeps the vow. It is a love that is motivated from within and not by appearances or circumstances on the outside. It is a love that none of us can fathom, let alone be worthy of. When we talk about these three aspects of God's love, we're talking about him and his very nature. The first of those aspects is his generosity. His generosity. It's part of the meaning of the word has said. And by the way, if I were to give you the many, many, many aspects that come from the meaning of has said, we would be here until Christmas was over. But I've only chosen three today. This generosity has said is void of stinginess. There's not an ounce of holding back in has said. It is open handedness. Like, here, take this. I give it to you. I give it to you freely. I generously give it to you with a smile on my face because I want you to have this. Earlier this past month, Laurel's nephew, Matt, married his fiancee, Jill. I wasn't real excited about going to the wedding. I had just come out of surgery, but I'm so glad I was there. Their wedding was held in Pittsburgh in the heart of the city. It was held at a place called the Museum Lab. Take a look at the picture It's in what was the old Carnegie Library, and they've built it and reconditioned it, but they left a lot of the old. It's it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. Strange venue for a wedding, but as it turns out, a very beautiful venue for a wedding. Matt and Jill invited all of their friends and their family to celebrate. Come to the celebration we have. We're going to have feasting. We're going to have music. We're going to have dancing. There will be joy overflowing. When I looked at it, I mean, they had sandwiches. And I had a bunch of them. It's a wonder I wasn't sick coming home that night. (laughs) Stuffed crab cake sandwiches. Wow, they called them sliders. They slid right down. Wow, they were good. And that was just one of the things. They had all kinds of feasts there. And, and, And I don't even want to try to imagine how much that must have cost to put on that kind of thing in that venue with that kind of food. I don't even, because don't ever take an accountant with you to one of those things because that's going to just spoil all the joy, right? We're just there to celebrate. And so we celebrated with Matt and Jill, and either they or Jill's father paid the bill generously. It was a generous celebration. I was thinking about God's generosity this week, and I thought of the fact that that's kind of what God did. He he invited people to the celebration, to the birth of Jesus, to his incarnation, I mean, the angels, we just read about it. They went out and they invited the shepherd. Go to Bethlehem. You're not going to believe what you're going to see there. Go celebrate. And they rejoiced and celebrated. That Bethlehem star, because of some teaching planted there through the prophet Daniel, that Bethlehem star invited Magi, the King King James calls them wise men from the east, to come. And what did they do? They worshiped. They celebrated this advent. (laughs) Just nine months earlier, a little more than that, there was an angel invited Joseph and an angel invited Mary and said, nine months from now, you're not going to believe what's going to happen. It will be a celebration. And every person that you see positioned around a stable in a nativity, living, plastic, wooden, Those people were invited by God's generosity to celebrate something that you and I can only imagine. (laughs) Why does God do that? 
because of his ascent, because he's generous. God's generous love caused him to give his son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That is God in the flesh, in the manger. That is God crying because he's hungry. That is God fussing because that straw tends to be a little bit scratchy. That is God unable to get to sleep and needing to be held and rocked. That is God giving generously to humankind. He gives himself. That's the first aspect of God's love I had for you today, that God is generous. The second one is that God himself is filled to the top with love. He's overflowing with love. No, that's still not exactly right, because remember, love is not something he has, but rather love is something that he is. So maybe rather than overflowing with love, we should say love just pours from him, because he's the source of love. But let's kind of stick with the overflowing thing. The verse says abounding in love just because I have a decent illustration about that. You know, the, the New Living Translation, I really like the New Living Translation. And, and in that, it paraphrases abounding with the two words filled with. It says that he's slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, filled up with it. I like coffee. I don't know how it's over there, yeah. I can look at the sound desk guys and say, where's my coffee? And they'll know because they know I panic without it. I like coffee a lot. And I drink my coffee the way a man drinks his coffee, black. No girl coffee. Don't put cream in it, guys. Come on, grow up. Grow up, right? And if Pat, be quiet back there. I heard someone say something. Brandon. In years past, I would order coffee to go and I'd be standing there. I'd say, would you please give me a coffee, please? And they'd say, Sure. And then they'd hand it to me. I don't know if you remember this, but they would hand it to me and it was like an inch. It was like an inch from the top. And I'm a Scotsman, so I want every penny's worth of coffee that I'm paying for, right? So, so I say to them, hey, um, and I say it nicely because never, never treat the person who's giving you food or beverage any way other than nicely. You never know what's going to happen. So I would, I would simply say, and I say, hey, would you do me a favor and fill that up? And the reply would inevitably be, oh, sure, I'd be glad to do that. I was just leaving you room for cream. And I would explain, why well, take it black? If you would fill it up, that would be great. That's how I want my coffee. I want it filled right up to the brim. By the way, have you noticed that they don't fill it shy the brim anymore? Have you noticed now that when you order your coffee, that person will look at you and they'll say, do you want me to leave room for cream? Do you remember that? Do you want me to leave room for cream? They say that regularly if you go to Starbucks or anywhere. Do you want me to leave room for cream? Do you know why they're asking you that? It's me. I take credit for that. You're welcome. They got tired of me saying, hey, fill it up. Nah, they didn't. I don't want my coffee cup to be half full. I want it to be clear full. I don't want my coffee cup to be overflowing because that burns, but I want it to be as full as it can be. I want it to be like God, full of love. But God is more than full. He is abounding in it, and he's overflowing in it. That is what you see in the manger, the abounding love of God. It is almost as though, it is almost as though, I'm going to talk about abounding next. No, I'm not. I'm on abounding. That is what you see in the manger, the abounding love of God. It is almost as though heaven itself opened up and it poured out its love and that love all splashed right down into a manger in a place called Bethlehem. It's the love of God right there. (laughs) What do you see in the manger? The love of God, abounding. Here's the third aspect of hesed. 
It carries with it the idea of loyalty. Loyalty that is unfailing. You could say this about the love of God. The love of God is never going to give you up, never going to let you down. Never. Wow, you were just rickrolled in a sermon. How about that? How many are like, I have no idea what that means? Yeah, good, I'm impressed. The early service was kind of confused about it, but yeah, you did well. Hmm. God's love is way better than that song. That wasn't hard though, was it? It is way better than any love that there possibly could be because it is loyal, and as it is unloyal, it is unfailing. It never fails. It is sad, a sad reality, that more often than you would expect, human love can let us down. Human love can fail us. And tragically, human love almost always fails us when we seem to need it the most. Someone goes through a very difficult divorce and their friends don't know how to interact with them because, well, I only knew them as a couple or I, I, I can't believe what you did to him or I can't believe what you did to her and, and I don't know how to relate to them. And so friends who had a sense, who, who had a, a quantity of love that they, that they were expressing to you, suddenly, all of a sudden, they, they just don't know how to, to do that and and they kind of avoid you. And that's not loyal, loyal, loyal love. That is, uh, that is failing love. Another example, years ago, I was visiting with a good friend of mine who was on hospice. And, and he was dying. And as we talked, he, he said to me, Pastor Steve, I want to tell you, I'm glad you're here. One of the hardest things in all of this is that my best friend hasn't even visited. He hasn't even called. Now, that friend may have reasons for that. Maybe we live in a busy world. Maybe he doesn't know how to deal with grief. Maybe he's got his own grief going on. But no one would look at that friend's love and say, that's faithful, loyal love. I mean, that's love that has failed. That is not loyal love. Maybe you've experienced it yourself. Maybe you are a person who is dealing with some big deal in your life, big problem in your life. And the person you felt like would be there for you and reach out to you failed. Failed to show loyal love. That never happens with God. Never. <laughs> never. The New Living Translation, again, it translates has said as unfailing love. That's not just a paraphrase on their part. That is a well-researched understanding of the word has said. God's love is unfailing because God himself is unfailing. And when it comes to this word, has said. It's not something he puts on. It is his very nature to love. I really want to encourage you this Advent to lean into this said, this love of God. Lean into his generous, abundant, loyal love. And you can do that because he is generous toward you. He has given sacrificially to you already. You have received blessings that were you to count them, it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And he's given you himself, his very life, to pay for your sins if you turn your heart to him and trust him. People struggle at Advent. I mean, Dave Clark, when he prayed this morning, he said, God, I pray for those people who are facing Christmas for the first year without a loved one. And I can think of a number of individuals that that would apply to inside our church and beyond our church. 
And sometimes at Advent, you can really struggle to see the love of God, the goodness of God. It's in the manger. And there, when you look in there, you see his generous love. And you hear the reflection of Paul at Christmas from Romans chapter 8, verse 32. And if you're thinking, you know, I haven't memorized a Bible verse in a long time. This would be the one. Paul's talking about what Christ has done. And he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously gives us, give us all things? He has cared for you in your past. He is caring for you now. Why does he do this? Has said, it is what he is. It is who he is. It's in the manger. And he's gener- his generous toward you, and he pours out this abundant love for you. He loves lavishly. Jesus talks about this in John 10.10. 10. When I say John 10.10, 10, some of you are like, hey, that sounds familiar. What does that say? I love, I love how the ESV writes it. It says, Jesus is speaking. He says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. A life that is full like a coffee cup, right up to the brim. A life that is full and overflowing with God's love. The abundant life. Are you struggling to sense God's abundant life and his abundant love this Advent? If you are, I would say you're probably not alone. I often wonder how Mary felt on that night, you know? Remember how the angel greeted her, not just once, but twice? Back in Luke chapter 1 and verse 28, the angel says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then just a verse later, when it says Mary was afraid, the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Highly favored, favor with God. That's got to be a good thing, right? But I wonder, as time progressed, until that baby was born, I wonder if Mary was thinking to herself, is this what it means to be highly favored? I mean, as a teenage girl who's expecting without a husband in a very conservative part of the world, in a conservative religion, with conservative people around her, there was reason that she went to live with her relative at a different location, Elizabeth. It wasn't because Elizabeth was a better cook. She was going to get away from the shaming, almost certainly, to escape that. Huh. Is that what it means? to be highly favored of God, having to move from Nazareth to be with my relative Elizabeth. Away from family, the the week that she was due, I can remember even as a child thinking to myself, where's mom and dad? Where's everybody? She's with a guy she's not even married to yet on the way to Bethlehem, and now she's due. Didn't they be able to do math back then? Didn't they know this was when this was going to happen? And I'm guessing she might be asking the very same questions. And I wonder if what's going through Mary's head as she's carrying that baby. Is this what it means to be highly favored? Is this what God's favor is all about? (laughs) Finding no room in the inn. What are the odds? I told you we should have left early. (laughs) Is this what happens to people that have found favor with God? But look at the screen. 
Because there's a phrase on there that you might have missed in verse 28. Greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. In all that Mary was experiencing that Advent, God was present with her, not just inside of her in the person of Jesus, but he was present throughout. He was with Mary. He was with Joseph. And his generous love showed up for them, providing protection from Herod and escape from Herod's sword. And his abundant love poured out for them in providing the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I remember one time somebody said, you know, I don't understand why Jesus' family was poor. They got all that gold that night and frankincense and myrrh. Wow, why were they poor? That was God's love pouring out for them in abundance so that they could make the flight to Egypt. Airfare to Egypt in the first century, it was really high because there were no planes. Just making sure you're paying attention. Yeah. And he was faithful to them. Faithful love, steadfast love. Caring for their every need. The Lord is with you. And I want to tell you, he does the same thing for you. Because he doesn't love Mary more than he loves you. He has so much love that when he pours it out, none of us stand back and say, how come they got more than I did? Because we're too busy just, just sloshing around in the beautiful, refreshing, vibrant love of God in his said, It's in the manger. Generous, abundant, loyal love. God has loyal love. And being loyal is actually not the same as being trustworthy. Being loyal is better than being trustworthy. Your mechanic is probably trustworthy. I'm not sure how loyal he may be to you. My bank is trustworthy. They've demonstrated over and over again they have no loyalty to me. (laughs) The person who draws blood when I go in for a blood test they're trustworthy. I don't know that they feel any specific loyalty of heart toward me as one of their clients. Loyalty, it's greater than trustworthy. It contains a heartfelt commitment. And God has that kind of commitment to you and me. He embodies that kind of commitment. It's not a mechanical commitment to us. It is motivated by a deep and personal desire to care for us. It's a choice that he made from before the beginning of time and that he will honor into eternity. Throughout scripture and throughout history, God's people have not been nearly as loyal to him as they should have been. A lot of things glitter and distract us and draw us away from him and turn our hearts from him. But God is ever loyal, consistently loyal. There's a psalm. Sometimes you might have been in a church where they read it responsively. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. And then the congregation says, his love endureth forever. And then the next verse, his love, I think it's 26 times they do that. Do you know what the word for love is there? Hesed. His hesed endureth forever. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. And as you trust him, you will see his loyal love with you, not just in Advent, but through eternity. Never meet your heroes. Never watch a video of your hero saying the queen mother of bad words. It'll break your heart. It'll let you down. 
But there is one who will never let you down. He's in the manger. And when you look to him, you will find him so different than an athlete or a musician or a politician or a pastor. All of humankind is just that, humankind. But you will find when you look at him a generous heart abounding in loyal love. And I want to pray that you would lean on him during this Advent season. And you will find not a broken heart, but healing of heart. That's a good thing to pray, isn't it? Let's stand together and we'll pray to that end. Let's bow our hearts. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for who you are. For who you are. For the generous heart that you have. For the abounding love that you faithfully pour out to us. I pray for all of us here, if there's someone here who's kind of like, has always just seen this as kind of trivial or, yeah, I know that, or whatever, and and has never really come to terms with the fact that the master and creator of the universe came as a baby to die for our sins, and when we turn our hearts to him and trust him, we find forgiveness and release from shame and newness of life as we swim in his generous, abounding, faithful love. I pray if there's anyone here that's like that God, that now would be their day. That this Sunday before Christmas, that they would say, I'll take that. I want that kind of love. Because it doesn't happen automatically. (laughs) It's not like an IV that a nurse is going to stick into your arm and fill you up with. You got to go to the buffet. Load your plate with what is abundantly provided and draw your sustenance from that. So if anyone here has never chosen to turn from themselves and trust in Jesus and follow after him, I pray that they would make that choice now and they would tell you, that's what I'm doing, God. That's what I'm doing. And I pray for all who have done that. It is so easy to miss the goodness of God. The God of this world, Satan himself, wants to blind our eyes to his goodness, to your goodness, God. We open our eyes. We look at he who is in the manger. We see the generous heart of God abounding with faithful love toward us and we receive it and we will rely on it, not just through Advent, but through our life. We pray this in the name of the one who was in the manger. Amen. What's hidden in the manger? The love of God. Let's sing away in a manger uh, as we conclude our time together.